Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. On this show, we aim to interview leaders from a range of performance disciplines within the tactical performance space to help you improve performance at the individual and organizational level. Now, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show, guys. You'll notice we don't run any ads here, but we do ask for you to pay a simple and small fee. And that fee is this. If you find value in the show, I'm pretty confident in the arcs we have some incredible guests each week, then please share the show. You know, if you're chatting with friends and colleagues about education and development, please recommend us. As I said, you know, we don't run ads here and we continue to grow organically through you, the listener. So please spread the word and help us get this information out to a lot more people. Now, on this week's episode, I'm really happy to sit down and chat with Ryan Carroll. For those of you guys who don't know who Ryan is, he's the Director of Tactical and Elite Sport at Bridge Athletic, where he serves as an educator, podcast host, and business development lead for the company's numerous tactical and elite sport partners. He has extensive experience in multiple areas of strength and conditioning, having most recently worked within Air Force Special Operations Units. Prior to this, he also worked in professional baseball with the Chicago White Sox and the Colorado Rockies, and at the collegiate level of Loyola University and University of Tennessee. In this episode, we talk about his role at Bridge Athletic, how organizations are using data to inform decisions, and how the culture from the tactical space is changing to become more data-driven. Good afternoon, Ryan, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I've seen some of the guests and, and listened to some of the episodes, so I'm honored to be uh, included on the guest list. Thank you very much, Ryan. I mean, you've been on my radar for a little while from the coaching side of things, and then obviously the work you're currently doing. I saw, I think it was on LinkedIn, just a link to you know, some, some of the information you're putting out about you know, training for the female warfighter, and I found that really interesting. So I just wanted to bring you on and have a chat to you around that. And that's something I think we can get to in a little bit as well. Um, you know, for anyone who hasn't come across you, Ryan, and the work you've done, can you just tell us, you know, where your career started out and where you're currently at? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm at currently. So I'm the director of tactical and elite sport at Bridge Athletic, um, strength and conditioning software platform. Um, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll hit you with where I'm at now, and then we can backtrack to my career. So, um, you know, I started out in I did my undergraduate at Marquette University in Milwaukee. Um, Initially, I wanted to do physical therapy. Um, They had a great program there. And um, as I kind of started taking, I didn't really get into the courses, but as I started to become familiar with that track, um, I just got kind of turned off by the amount of uh, old people that you have to work with. Um, didn't really think about that when I was, you know, an 18 year old high school kid, I just thought physical therapy, I'll be around sports. That's what I want to do. Um, so quickly kind of discovered that that wasn't the route I wanted to take. And, um, like I said, I grew up playing sports and working out and all that kind of stuff was very active, very competitive and knew that I wanted to try to stick around sport as long as I could. And so I took, um, a strength and conditioning course and it really just kind of stuck with me. Um, you know, at that time it was just an exercise science major. It wasn't strength and conditioning specific. So, you know, you're doing cardiac rehab and, um, you know, general testing and things of that nature. And so, uh, strength and conditioning was the course that really kind of spoke to me. And, and so, um, out, out of that, you know, I graduated, I did an internship at DePaul university in Chicago, um, and worked under a man named Tim Lang, who, was kind of a, from the Vern Gambetta tree for the old school folks out there and um, had a lot of experience in pro baseball. And so um, I actually ended up going to grad school at Tennessee, but um, during my, so I went for three semesters and during my summer, I actually went and interned with the Colorado Rockies. So I worked with their rookie ball team and then came back to school. So um, kind of a lot going on during that period, but worked with football and baseball um, worked with Brian Garrity, who, you know, is doing great things at, uh, Denver and, um, and, and then worked in the, the pro sport field, came out of, um, my master's program and got a job with the Chicago White Sox. So I was there in 2005, 2006, when they, they won the world series in 05. So that was a pretty, pretty fun experience. And just seeing the, the changes to the career field that happened because of that. Um, you know, we can talk about it later on, but really up until that point, strength and conditioning in baseball was a part-time job and there weren't a lot of them available. So winning that actually drove the White Sox to create full-time positions for their coaches. Um, 
So I was there <clears throat> 05, 06. I left to take a head strength coach job position at Loyola University in Chicago. Um, so it was me and 250 athletes, roughly. Um, that was a great experience, uh, just kind of running your own program, managing that, um, trying to do everything for everybody. It was a learning experience, both in terms of what to do and what not to do. Um, in 2011, I guess, I left and went back to the White Sox and worked um, two years with them again. And then, um, you know, kind of found my calling in the tactical space. So uh, really just kind of heard about it through some LinkedIn stuff that was going on. And um, I've got a family kind of history in the, of the military and thought, you know, it would be a great thing to, to try to get into and spent six years at a Air Force Special Operations Command Unit at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. And, and then in 2018, I shifted over here to, to Bridge Athletic, and I've been kind of rolling with that ever since. So um, it's kind of been a long, crazy path, but, uh, you know, it's been a good one. Nice, man. That is, that is quite some journey for the, for the profession as well, dude. When you made that move, you're sitting there to Chicago and you were heading up the program with 250 athletes. Was it just you managing that program? Do you have any guys under you, like interns or GAs and stuff? No. So it was a, it's a mid-major program. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's grown since the time I was there, but um, at that time, it was just me. And so, you know, you kind of battle, um, you know, I need help, but at the same time, I want to prove myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I actually kind of found it to be a situation where I almost ran myself into the ground over five years because you try to be everything for everybody and you try to, you know, do customized programming for all of the athletes and you try to, um, you know, expand your knowledge base and you try to go to conferences and then, you know, they're asking you to work for two months for free basically over the summer. And so um, it was a crazy experience, but yeah, I really learned a lot, probably more than ever about kind of quality over quantity and, and really um, that line between um, your personal life and your professional life. And, you know, I'm sure we all kind of learned that at some point in our coaching careers. But for me, that was a good learning experience of, you know, hey, I'm, I, I can't give it all up, you know, or I'll, I'll just be a shell of myself. Like I need to have some boundaries and I need to establish that. And, and I need to know that, you know, I'm going to provide the best quality product I can, but I can't be afraid to say, no, I can't do this. No, I don't have time for this. If I do this over here, then this over there is going to suffer. Um, so I really enjoyed that experience. Um, I tried to get, I had, I think I had two interns, um, but past that, like I, I couldn't get a GA, um, I couldn't get an assistant. It was just, those were kind of the times and that's how things were for mid majors back in probably the mid two thousands. I mean, <clears throat> I can only imagine holding that position for five years and dealing with that many athletes and the schedule and stuff you must have had some ridiculously long days within that program just to manage every single athlete and come through the weight room as well. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and that was, you know, 6am workouts to five o'clock workouts. And then, you know, basketball is the main sport. So if basketball practice goes longer then you're sticking around longer and um, weekends and, you know, I, I remember, um, one winter there was, it snowed 24 hours. It snows 24 inches in 24 hours there shut down the entire city uh -huh. and I lived like three quarters of a mile from campus I just walked every day and I remember the coaches saying well hey the kids are on campus even though school's closed you can just walk in right and they can still do training and it's like are you guys kidding me um so really it was just it was tough and then you know I think one of the the issues um you know that I faced then was um you know hey um there's a lot of similarities in the programming it's like, well, number one, I'm one person for 250 kids. So how, how diff different and customized can everything get? But at the same time, you know, you're looking at mid-major young athletes, collegiate athletes, 80% of them probably need the same thing. They just need to get stronger. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so does it really matter that everybody is back squatting? Or does it really matter that we're working on these general strength qualities? Because they're going to get better and they're going to make a difference. But if you want, 
you know, more customized approaches, then we need more resources. So it was, it was a constant battle, but, you know, definitely one that makes me, I'm very happy that I went through that experience and I'm, I'm very, I take a lot of things from that experience, both positively and negatively. Definitely, man. Seems like a big growth experience as well as all those challenges you'd have to face in there. I was going to ask you then on that ranks, you mentioned, I, I don't know if I've got the gentleman's name correct. Is it Tim Lang? You were saying you're yep. under him. So yep. does that tie in with your own coaching philosophy a little bit there coming from uh, Vern Gambetta sort of school of like movement curriculum or where does your philosophy sit with regards to training? Um, well, really, I think it, yes and no. Um, I think it's really the, the thing for me is, and I speak about this a little bit in, in my presentation for the tactical conferences, I think it's really important to have a, have a system. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that can be a system that you create yourself and everyone's going to have their own unique system. But what having a system does is, is helps you to address all the things that kind of funnel out of that. So what I mean by that, like, you know, if, if we have a, um, you know, a soccer player versus a volleyball player, well, I, you know, I have a specific system of training. So, you know, movement-based system, we're not training muscles, we're training movement patterns. Um, you know, we're, we're understanding basic energy system development concepts, um, things like that at an overarching level. Um, having that system in place makes it easier for you to then kind of plug and play what you want to do on that individualized athlete level. So, you know, if I know that, you know, we need a strong aerobic base for a given sport, and then we need to sprinkle in some anaerobic components to it, um, you know, understanding how to test, how to evaluate for those, those physical components, understanding what, what a good, you know, VO2 max looks like, what a bad one looks like. And then we can, we can put that into our system. Um, and address those qualities the way we need to, instead of kind of flying by the seat of our pants and saying, well, this athlete, you know, I think they need more um, of this quality or this athlete needs maybe this quality. Um, we can kind of be more generic or generalized in our approach and use, you know, you almost create like a, um, oh, I'm thinking of like in like a, like a gene tree. It's almost like a little tree of a decision-making tree. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it really helps you to be more efficient with your time and your approach and to make things as customized as possible for that athlete, because you can just kind of run through your checklist, do your test, and then kind of off you go. And I think that, you know, flows into a little bit about, you know, like what bridge does and and how bridge can kind of help with that. So I think in terms of like a specific training philosophy, man, I think it's just being it's being adaptable. It's setting up a kind of a system to go off of like almost checks and then, you know, really understanding the right, the right testing components and the right training components for that given sport or that given activity. So, um, you know, probably not the greatest answer, but I think it's just very, very important to kind of be fluid and not be stuck in, you know, well, I train this athlete this way and I train this athlete this way it's that, that age old strength and conditioning response. Like it depends. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I, I go, I, I agree with that as well. Like the, just having that almost that flow of like, right. What does the athlete need? So where they're at and just it's, it makes things a little bit easier as well. Just having that system, that process you can flow through by right. Okay. Are they strong enough yet? Great. Right. What's next? Do we need to work on right speed and stuff? like that? And just makes things so much, so much more simple. I think from a coaching perspective, especially if you've got such a large cohort as you had at Chicago, dude. Um, I was going to ask, so you mentioned briefly about, you know, seeing things with regards to the military and that crop up on LinkedIn for opportunities there. What, what, what sparked your interest with regards to the tactical side of things? Because, I mean, most guys within the college structure, you know, they're, they're on that pathway and they want to get, like, a head, head position at a, a major D1 school, I'm guessing, for most guys there, like, you know, UCLA, USC, something like that, or uh, in yeah. Alabama. So what was it that made you want to take that, that different path? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it primarily starts out with my family. So my dad is a retired Air Force. We spent a lot of time, you know, bouncing around to different military bases when I was growing up. And, um, you know, I always had that pull. That's probably one of my regrets is, um, you know, I, I, I was actually in ROTC for the Army when I was in college. And 
um, got out because I just was at a point in my life where it, it just wasn't really a priority to me. Mm-hmm. And I always regret like not finishing that out and not going in. So <clears throat> I think from that standpoint, it was an opportunity to kind of, you know, go back and, and redo that mistake that I made. Um, I also knew that there was a huge opportunity there. So this is back in 2012 when Tactical was kind of just starting out. Like I know the Thor 3 program had been around for a little bit, but really this was the expansion of POTIF and, and all that kind of thing. And I just knew that there was opportunity there to work with really special people. Um, and, and I think the other part of it, which drove me there was, I think it almost was a natural career progression in some sense, because you spend time working in professional baseball where you have athletes that they don't have to come and talk to you. They don't have to come work with you. Like you have to be able to create relationships and, and talk to athletes and, and, and work with them to get the results you need. And, and that's very much something that happens in that tactical community as well, where they don't, it's not a required program where I was at. It was very much like, Hey, a guy comes in and says, Hey, I like to do CrossFit, but you know, here's your chance, write me a program. And they may never come back. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of having that background and working with athletes in that way, it just kind of seemed like a, you know, it was kind of in my comfort zone. Like I could create those relationships. I could talk to those athletes and I knew the opportunity to affect change there was really great because there hadn't been resources there before. So, you know, I think a lot of that is really what drove me to try it out. And, you know, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't mention that another big driver was the, the area that I ended up going to was, um, was right in kind of my family like it's right where I kind of grew up, you know, it was down here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which, you know, a lot of people are not great fans of the area, but for me, like my mom is from here. And so growing up and kind of coming in and out and having cousins and family was like, all right, I get to kind of return to my, my roots with my family. I get to be a part of this military, um, you know, machine that, you know, my dad was a part of and that I regret not having gotten into. And then the opportunity to educate and really bring my expertise into an area where they haven't had anything just seemed like kind of too good to pass up on. Nice to. I mean, how was that, uh, that initial move in, dude? You know, how did you find going from uh, collegiate athletics and then pro baseball into the military community? I, I mean, I thought it was, it was great. So, you know, you, you have your people and I don't know what the percentage breakdown was, but let's say you have 25% of the group are going to come up to you on day one and they're going to be like, Hey, this is so awesome. Like, I can't believe you were for the white Sox. What was that like? You know, how, how do we get started? Like, let's get, let's get on a training program. You have another 25% that are like, Hey, I'm good, man. I've been doing this for X number of years. I'm at the peak of my career and I don't need you. And, you know, you know, I'll probably see you in the gym, but that's about it. So, you know, you kind of immediately get to work on that middle 50% of guys that are going to, you know, maybe they're interested, maybe they hear your background, they've been training, but they think maybe there's another way that I could do things. Um, But they're also kind of guarded because, you know, the way that, and, and this goes for, I'm speaking specifically for the guys that I worked with, so others could be different, but they're really trained to be, you know, a jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and they're trained to be self-sufficient. So, Hey, if you don't know how to do X, figure out how to do it. So that was kind of the approach I think with training for a long time was, you know, Hey, we're not going to tell you how to be physically ready to do your job, but you better figure it out. So when guys spend that much time doing that, they get accustomed to, you know, why I've got the answer. So, you know, you immediately go to work on kind of those middle, those middle 50%. And and that's just educating and relationship building and, and understanding that you may not hit, you may not get every one of that 50%. um, Or you may get some and then that'll kind of ebb and flow. But that's going to be your kind of battleground is that middle 50%. And, you know, everybody was nice and professional there. But, you know, you could definitely tell like, there was people walking around that thought, you know, I had to crawl, I have to crawl out of here every day that I train. 
Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, I, they don't talk about sleep. They don't talk about, you know, the three monsters that they probably had before noon. Mm-hmm. Um, so just getting in there and, and understanding kind of what their daily battle rhythm was and what were the low hanging fruit that we could try to start working on them with to try to, to tap into that middle 50%. And I know, you know, you had a good podcast with Hunter um, where he talked about a lot of this stuff and it's crazy to hear the overlap and in, in a lot of our situations. Cause I didn't know Hunter at that time. Um, you know, and here we are kind of having almost the same experience on the opposite sides of the country. Yeah. And it would have been great to have someone to, you know, kind of bounce that off of, but, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely was kind of a, you know, let's, let's try to educate, let's not come in and tell them what they're going to do, because as we all know, that's the fastest way to lose anybody in the military profession is to order them to do something. So I spent a lot of time saying, all right, what are you doing now? All right. What do you like about that? What do you not like about that? What do you wish you could do a little bit differently? What would really help you, you know, on the job? And then, you know, you may spend, and I'm not, I'm not, um, I guess I'm not, a, I'm not a CrossFit guy and I'm not afraid to, to put that out there and say that. And we can talk about that if you want to, but at the same time, if a guy's a CrossFit guy, I may come in and say, all right, here's how we're going to program. We're going to do your CrossFit stuff. But at the end of it, I want to do this little mobility block. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I've watched you just from walking through the weight room. You know, you got a little hip shift. Your right ankle pops up. Um, you know, you've got some really, really poor T-spine mobility. And I'm, I'm probably not going to tell him this, but I'm going to observe that and I'm going to see that. And I'm going to say, hey, all right, here's your training. Let's do, you know, let's do your wad today. At the end of your wad, I want you to do these corrective exercises. And we may do that for a couple of weeks. And, and for the most part, what would happen is guys would come in and say, man, I feel so much better. Like I can get down to my squat better. I can move better. My low back doesn't hurt, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's like, all right, that's awesome. Let's try this. And now you, you know, maybe you add a little bit more kind of, you know, I guess I'll call it like performance training to that, to that workout. So maybe it's 80% CrossFit, 20%, you know, movement, mobility, whatever. And you slowly start to kind of inch that across as you build trust and as they see results. And so by the end of it, maybe you're, you know, you're looking at, they're coming in and doing mobility in the morning and then they're doing, you know, your five, three, one protocols or your juggernaut stuff or, you know, APRE. And then maybe they do a little smoke session at smoke session at the end, Mm -hmm. because that's what keeps them engaged. And I'll take that as a win, but, you know, you slowly start to work that instead of coming in and saying, all right, guys, I know you've been doing this, you know, as of today, that stops. Like that's not going to go anywhere when you have to get people, um, you know, accustomed to change. So that's kind of the approach that I took. Um, and, and that's kind of how I started going after that middle 50%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting as well, because I know obviously within the, the military community, CrossFit's grown exponentially. It's, it's a big buy-in rate. So changing that must have been interesting as well. And it's still a very, di- um, you know, um, unpopular topic for some coaches, like with regards to CrossFit. I know when it first came around, I was very much in the camp of like, what the hell is this? Why would you do that? I've slowly come around over my coaching career. I don't, I haven't drank the Kool-Aid fully, but I see some, some uh, value in some of the things you can take from it and use it as well. But I, I'm the same as you probably Ryan. It's like, I wouldn't just program just pure CrossFit for an athlete, especially a tactical athlete to be very much that driven sort of focus with maybe that little bit added in there just to get a little bit of a buy-in or a little bit of, metabolic conditioning if you really want to push it that side of things but done smartly as well yeah and and this is going to be my hot take so i'll I'll expect a lot of uh comments on this which is good because it drives conversation you know and i was actually talking to to nate palin about this last week is i mean i think that and, and grant this is one person's opinion but i think that we are where we're at with h2f because of the great job that some old school coaches did on the POTIF program and did in Thor three. 
And the entire approach approach there was we are getting away from that style of training. You know, we, we can't have these workouts of the day that have no context, that have no long-term thought to them. We have to have a structured approach that focuses on, like we said, jack of all, like mobility, stability, strength, power, you know, anaerobic components, anaerobic or aerobic and anaerobic components. We have to have all of that. And so it just is disappointing to me that I see some of these things on social media now with some, some military groups that are just starting to get coaches and you see postings on, you know, today's wad. It's like, that is what we are. We were fighting against when we got here, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't eliminate it, but we push things away from that. You know, people can speak however they want to about exos, but that methodology really changed the way that I program in terms of like, we can do some active rest recovery, some, some movement in between, you know, our major exercises, things like that. We're really starting to take an effect. And, and, you know, then we have, we kind of go back to this, like, all right, well, what's the wad today? What's the wad today? And it's like, we are so much better than that. And, and we need to be better than that. You know, if, if that's the only way that we get people in, man, you got to try other stuff because that that's not a long-term solution. Um, especially when you look at, to me, you know, my programming style is, is very much like I take kind of the conjugate approach mm-hmm. and I do a lot of tier system work through Joe Ken because the tactical athlete, you know, we have to hit strength. We have to hit hypertrophy. We have to hit power in the course of a given day. We just have to, because they face that in their job. And we don't know consistently when we're going to see them again. So you can use that structure and that framework to create really solid um, programming that not only, you know, we're, we're training for today, but we're training for next week and next month and six months down the line. And, and within that, and that's what I love about the tier system is like we could, we could do our strength and power work at the top and then throw in a, a, a Metcon you know, a small Metcon at the end. But the takeaway for me with, with what I see is like, I just think it's a dangerous idea to go back and start going to, you know, wads and things like that, that have no context or purpose. And, um, you know, just what we're doing because we have a great responsibility now to be part of a culture change. And we have to do that right. We have to take that seriously. And, and again, to me, that's, having a plan, putting a plan into place, you know, working on your communication skills, not to say, hey, you know, John Q. Soldier, you're doing it wrong, but saying, hey, I know you're doing this. Let's try this. Let's input this and not go straight to, all right, everybody likes wads. We're going to do wads today. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, you know, I, I get up on my pedestal about that stuff, but I, you know, I, it's for the greater good. It, it's for us continuing to drive the change that we've been able to make so far. I think it only gets better when we really put in the work to make sure we're doing proper training and long-term development with the soldiers. Definitely. Definitely. And I mean, it's, it's a big impact of just that, that structured focus training for developing the guys. And like you say, um, you don't know what those guys are going to have to face when they come down to do their job or how long you're going to have them on base. So stuff more like you know, conjugating your tier system. It's a great application there as well. And yeah, if you want to throw in your, your wad sort of thing is just something in there as a little top up fine, but yeah, I'd all agree. I just wouldn't be chasing. Um, I wouldn't be chasing fatigue out of it all day right. long. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause if you look at the, what are the qualities that, you know, that we're trying to get going. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not the alactic system, you know, with most of the folks, especially if you're looking at a traditional, like let's say conventional military soldier, you're probably looking at aerobic capacity and general strength. Yeah. So, you know, what are we hitting in a wad that's addressing those things? And I get it. Like not every wad is the same and, you know, we don't want to stereotype. I'm speaking in, you know, generalities, but, you know, I just don't think that it does us any, any, it does a disservice to the soldier mm-hmm. um, because it's not addressing their biggest needs. 
Uh, I wanted to chat to you a little bit as well, uh, Ryan, just because obviously you're in post down there um, at, at Bragg, and then obviously you made the move over to Bridge Athletic. When when did that opportunity come about for you? Yeah, so that came about in 2018. So, um, you know, we had done a what we call a reset week there at the unit I was at. So what we did was we took, um, and this was something that myself and an active duty person started with, where guys came back from deployment and we needed a way to kind of do a, a check-in on them. And so what we did was we created a little, a little program where they came back and then right before they went on their post-deployment leave, they came in for two days. They had blood draws. They went through a physical testing battery. They went through sports medicine, like movement screens. They saw the psych for their post-deployment evaluation. They met with the chaplain. Uh, they met with a nutritionist. We combined all of that together. And then two weeks later, we went to Duke University because that's right up the road from Fort Bragg. And we did a week where each guy had one-on-one -on -one sessions with all of those components to see like where he was at, what problems there were, where we as a staff could overlap what was going on. So maybe the psychologist saw something and, you know, I saw something in training and we could talk about that. But what came out of that was Duke was actually using and still uses Bridge Athletic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Dan Perlmutter, who's at Duke University, said, hey, you guys should really check out Bridge. We've been using them. It's, it's really, you know, a unique, a cool thing. And, and it solved one of the issues that we had, which is when you're working on that POTIF contract, um, your job is to justify your existence. So we're paying all this money. What are we getting for that? And when you're on government networks, both, you know, secure and not secure networks, it's really difficult to send programming to somebody that's in, let's say, Afghanistan, and they can't get on and check YouTube or something like that to see what is this exercise, or maybe I call it something that you can't find on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so we just had this issue that we saw where we need something that we can deliver to the operator that has its own library, that we can track their usage. You know, So maybe we have 30 guys that come in to train today with us, but maybe another 80 train throughout the world on whatever they're doing. So now we can justify our existence as a staff. So, you know, we met with the group from Bridge and, um, you know, really got to know them and, and got to know the product really well. And at the time they had just partnered with Exos and we were on the Exos contract. So it made a lot of sense in terms of, hey, their exercise library fits with the majority of what we're doing. We can change things if we want, but you know, this is kind of a turnkey ready system. Um, and so, uh, you know, I worked as a coach, you know, there utilizing bridge for a long time. And um, really, it just got to the point where I saw where things were headed in terms of the profession and, and the desire for data science and understanding data and understanding tech. And, you know, I just decided that, hey, I, I'd really like to do this, I'd like to take a little break from coaching. And, um, and really understand this side of the industry because I think it's gonna be important for, for us going forward. Um, and so I was lucky enough, I chatted with them and they were looking for a tactical kind of rep, tactical lead. And so I was able to, to step in and um, you know now with Bridge, I handle um, some of our business development with our military customers, but I also handle education. So you know things like training coaches up on the platform um, doing podcasts. Um, you know, I do the power and performance podcast speaking, you know, I've spoken at NSCA tactical twice now, NSCA coaches. Um, I spoke at a personal trainer conference a couple weeks back on using technology. So, you know, really that's kind of my role here at bridge. And, and that's why I wanted to do it was I wanted to get familiar with how do we, how do we collect data, you know, with efficiency, how do we action that data and how do we use it to drive decision-making? Because that's to me from the outside right now, that seems like the biggest lagging factor in the tactical space is how do we continue to justify the impact that we are having because we are having the impact, but how do we, how do we automate that? Because we can't have one coach working with 5,000 army soldiers and expect him to really paint a clear picture 
of all he's able to do. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of how this thing all came about. And it's really what I'm kind of focused on right now is how we, how we maximize, you know, our coaches abilities to paint the picture of their effectiveness. Nice. And you, you make a, a number of good points in there, Ryan. One of them I picked up on there is obviously, you know, embedding the tech within the, the community there as well. And we were just speaking previously about, you know, changing the culture of regards to training and getting guys to understand they don't have to drag themselves out uh, of every single training session. What's it been like trying to, you know, embed more tech with regards to the training process into these units and that, you know, what's the response been from these guys? Have they, have they, have they welcomed it? Have there has been any resistance around it? Yeah, I, I think it's a very fine line. Okay. And we're always kind of walking it because you don't want to make those soldiers or operators lab rats. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like I said, like we have a responsibility to ourselves to capture the data that's going to help keep us there and get us more resources. Because even though we've made a lot of strides, we've got a lot, we got a long way to go. And so, you know, I think when you're talking about this culture change, um, that's where I really feel like tech can come in and help. So, you know, there's, there's components of our platform that really make it almost automatic for you to, to, to capture data. Like you don't even have to be in the same room with the person, but now you can say, Hey, I'm, I'm a, I've got one coach and one athletic trainer at my unit, my brigade or battalion. And I'm interacting with 4,000 people. Like that's insane. And there's no way you could do that with Excel or pen and paper. So in my mind, like coaches and tactical have been very, very progressive in this sense. And in some, some cases, I think almost overly progressive because every now and then you do see that where people are like, well, I don't want to have to check my bridge app and my Garmin app and my Smartabase app. And so now I think we're to the point where companies need to start trying to figure out ways to almost combine efforts so that we don't have four or five different places where a soldier has to go to log their data or capture it, Um, which is a good problem to have. I mean, they're using it, they're interested in it, um, but I think we just have to figure out how to make it work. And the funny thing is from a kind of a business side, you know, you talk to a coach and they're like, yeah, why can't this do this and this and this? Why can't you integrate you know, your force plates and your bridge data and your velocity and this and that. And like, okay, so if you're going to build your weight room, you know, are you going to call, I'm, I'd play no favorites here. I'm just throwing out names, but I'm going to call Sornex, you know, for my, my rack or my, my beaver fit. I'm going to call beaver fit. Okay. Um, are you going to ask beaver fit for their cardio equipment? No, because you call Woodway for their cardio equipment or you call play for their flooring or whatever it is. But for some reason, everyone looks at software and tech, like, why don't you guys just all work together? It's like, because different people do things really well, but there is definitely, I think a need for these companies to kind of come together in some respects to, to make it easier on the end user. So we don't, we don't lose them while we have this opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I think that would be that'd be great as that next step in the process of just that integration through platforms as well. And it is interesting. I've I've fallen into that uh, that uh, mindset before of like, oh well, why can't this just integrate as seamlessly as you'd expect it to? But it's like you say with regards to like outfit in your weight room, you wouldn't think twice about going to different companies for what they do best. Right. Like, right how's all how's all uh, link in and work together as well. But um, with regards to saying like, you know, the tech is getting absorbed in and it's helping to drive things forward. What, what's the sort of data guys are starting to, to draw from Bridge and use that to inform their decisions? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you can do stuff as simple as, um, you know, attendance. You know, you could track attendance and utilization and say, hey, people that use that log workouts through Bridge are, you know, X times more likely to not come in and see sports medicine. Something like that is very simple for you to to track. Um, You know, you could also go with, uh, you know, tonnage and load and look at acute chronic workload 
um, stuff and, and utilize that information. Um, something that I think is really cool about Bridge is like you have the ability to log outside activity as well. Mm -hmm. So where I think that's important, where we get, I'm sure there's people doing this that I, I just don't know of, but, you know, so we have our, our load metrics in the weight room. We know that a guy lifted, you know, 5,000 tons and was in there for 90 minutes and he rated it an eight out of 10 and blah, blah, blah. But we don't know um, is what is the cost of that CQB run or what is the cost of that full day at the shooting range? Or what is the cost of, you know, him jumping out of an airplane 10 times in three days? So what is cool is that, you know, you could log that on bridge and say, hey, I, I jumped today and I jumped for three hours and it was an eight out of 10. So now we can start mirroring up that load with the training load maybe for the day in the weight room and start to bring this picture into more, more clear perspective of, what are these guys going through? Because, you know, like Hunter said in an earlier podcast, we have no way to get out there and experience what they experienced. I don't, I don't know. And honestly, I don't care to know what it feels like to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Um, but, you know, we had guys that would go to jump training and they might do 30 jumps in two weeks. And I have no idea. Like, I know that does something on their CNS. You know, and I know that does something on their musculoskeletal system when they're doing, um, you know, hey-ho jumps and, and holding on to, um, to handles for 30 minutes plus in an isometric contraction. But I want to know from them, like, what does that do to you? And if I can automate that in terms of, all right, I just go to my app, I log this, I put any notes, and I say it was an 8 out of 10. Now, us as human performance professionals can get a better understanding of what that's like without the ability to go in and do it ourselves. So that's where I think some of this tech can really be helpful in creating conversation and, and driving discussion. Um, now, something I will say that is, is starting to be utilized, at least from my understanding, you look at like Smartabase. Well, now we've got all these pieces of technology that are communicating at that Smartabase level and we can start putting together um, reports for commanders that say, hey, out of your force of 100 soldiers, 30 of them are in the red, 30 of them are in the yellow, and the rest are green. You know, this isn't going to, you know, I, I fully understand that this isn't going to cause you to pull Officer XYZ off of the mission, but you need to understand that, you know, if you're sending a team full of red guys, these are some of the things you can expect. Like they may not be as sharp physically. They may not be as sharp mentally. We may be at increased risk of injury. Um, you know, doesn't mean the mission might not go off, off without a hitch, but you just need to know the cost of doing business. And so that's where I think we're getting better and we'll continue to get better at using the information that we can collect to help give that commander a better picture of what's going on. Definitely. And I think that will really help inform commander's decisions with regards to how they progress with their guys like you say going out on mission like right is this the, the, the correct team to send out given that everyone's sitting in the red and just expanding out and trying to capture more of that data as you, you pointed out there what hunter said in his chat of just not knowing you know what those loading metrics are for the guys when they're away from the gym because yeah if you are a jump school and you're doing numerous jumps what was the force loading on the body as you come flying into, you know, your landing yeah. zone at like 30 miles an hour, wherever it is. Yeah. So and that's and how can we, do. how can we set up our programming? Let's say the six or four weeks prior to that jump school so that that, that soldier is ready to accept those forces. We mitigate that risk mm -hmm. of injury. Um, you know, like, yeah, all that stuff is really key and it's really important. And that's, that's where I think tech really kind of comes in and can play some benefit. Definitely, definitely, man. I was going to ask you as well, Ryan, because obviously you cropped up uh, with your article on LinkedIn with regards to training the female warfighter. And over obviously in the US and here in the UK, things have changed dramatically with regards to the female warfighter in that you know all job roles are suddenly available to them. They can apply for any role within any branch. So with that, you know, 
how's that changed with regards to you know their approach to training and you know what were the common pitfalls we're seeing with regards again these ladies ready yeah and, and you know i won't i won't give away too many of the details because i am speaking on it here in a couple of days but i, I think it all boils down to education and mm -hmm. and and that's like the overarching theme i think with our our opportunity here with h2f with strength coaches getting involved throughout the world on the tactical side is we've got an opportunity to really affect the culture of the military. And to, to do that, I think requires us to take a deeper look. And I had to do this. This was the impetus for the presentation. I had to train some female soldiers and I did not do a good job of it. Like I did not do my homework. And so I think we need to educate ourselves on the physiological differences the hormonal differences, um, the nutritional differences, you know, we don't need to be, you know, like I'll say in the presentation, you don't need to be an endocrinologist. You just have to understand at a general level, what are some things I need to keep an eye on because we want to get the best bang for our buck, you know, things like the drastic increase in, in ACL tears during ovulation for a female. Well, what can we do? Maybe we mitigate or limit the, the change of direction drills we do during that ovulation period. Again, when it's time to go, it's time to go. And I'm not going to say, hey, commander, you can't send this female soldier because it's, you know, during her ovulation period. But we want to be careful about when we train certain qualities. And if we have that information, we should use it to our advantage. And so I think just having, giving, um, taking more time to educate our coaches to understand those high level concepts will trickle down so that as these females get more opportunities, whether it's I'm coming into um, basic training or I'm a, a high level leader that has to pass the ACFT for, to, to take command of a unit, or I wanna go and, and try out for the SEALs. Like all of those things, like if, if we don't understand those differences, then we're setting them up for failure because we're not, ebbing and flowing our, our training variables to match the appropriate times for, for them based off kind of that menstrual cycle. Um, and so I talk a lot about creating a relationship uh, with that female soldier to the point where they can go on and utilize some of these, you know, there's a, an app called Clue, uh, Apple Health has an app, um, even just a simple readiness questionnaire to help them start to understand about themselves. Hey, when I'm in this part of my cycle, I feel X, Y, and Z. So now when I start feeling that, I can communicate with my coach. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in that, I think I'm in that part of my cycle. You know, should we carry on with training? Should we adjust in some way? Like how should we manipulate things so that we're getting the best bang for our buck with our, with our daily training? So that's, that's kind of, where I'm coming at with my presentation and how I think, I mean, I think we can do a phenomenal job as a profession at really helping to open the doors for some of these female soldiers. We just have to have the right, um, the right background and the right kind of equipment to, to go into that with them so that they come out on the other end, like as strong and as fit and as healthy as they could possibly be for whatever endeavor they're gonna go into. Yeah. And I've seen that in performance sport as well for numerous teams of obviously tracking just um, menstrual cycle with regards to contraception use as well and how that impacts mm -hmm. on testosterone spikes, uh, yeah. which is really, really interesting just sitting and listening as well. Um, and having apps like Clue, and I think it's Fitter as well, are really, really great for helping track that too. Is that yeah. something you think Bridge would look to incorporate at some point? Potentially. Um, I mean, I think the other part of it too, is like I said, you could just use like the, the, the wellness app in, in bridge, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, Hey, I feel, I feel really tired today. Um, I don't have a lot of energy, you know, I, you know, I feel this or that. Well, those aren't like, we're not looking at your menstrual cycle necessarily. We're just starting to put these pieces together of, Hey, around the, you know, the third to the fifth of every month, you tend to get really tired all right, so let's take a look at the research and see where we might be, you know, so you don't need all those things, but I think there's some good kind of free low cost opportunities that could help get more specific. 
But even if you just wanted to give out a, a piece of paper that somebody fills in their stuff and gives it back to you 10, 15 minutes before a training session, and then you say, all right, well, here's where we can kind of modify. Um, I think there's a lot of options. Definitely, definitely, man. Now, obviously, Ryan, it's been awesome chatting to you, dude. And, you know, you, you're doing some great things with regards to the research and presenting and all the stuff you're doing at Bridge. Uh, my question I always ask everyone who's on the show is, you know, what's, what's your go-to for your own education and your own CPD? So on yeah. that, could you give us a uh, book, an app, or a website recommendation you personally found useful? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you a whole bunch. <laughs> Love it, Ryan. Um, Go for it. So, I mean, for me, what really, so two things that have really changed my approach to training um, in, in the almost 20 years I've been doing this. Number one was the Exos methodology. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, the addition or kind of the, the melding of almost like corrective and movement stuff into training. There was a long period where I strictly look at strength and conditioning as, you know, squats, bench, deadlift. Um, so that really changed it for me. And then the other kind of component to training was um, DNS. So dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Um, so that is a, a philosophy. There, there's a whole range. Um, so they, they work with strength coaches, docs, PTs, chiropractors. There's a whole range of kind of the courses that you can take. But what it does is it kind of goes back to our kind of our primitive selves where, you know, not primitive, but I would say like when we're babies. So that first year of, of, of life, you know, our, our um, central nervous system is really highly functioning because our musculoskeletal system hasn't gotten strong enough yet. So all of our movements are really efficient. Um, and, and so they go through and they have these kind of poses that are like month by month that correlate to how we figure out, you know, how to reach off of, you know, one arm or get into a crawling position or lay on our back and things like that. And, and then as time goes and we get stronger, we start to compensate in our movement patterns because we're strong enough and we can. So I took a DNS course out in California a couple of years ago, it was DNS weightlifting. Um, and it really put a lot of those um, principles within a weightlifting context. So, you know, if I see somebody deadlifting or squatting or something, and we're getting a lot of rib flare, like how can I move them back into these positions, teach them to breathe properly, increase that movement efficiency, reduce that rib flare, things like that, really change the way that I kind of look at movement. So mm -hmm. I would highly recommend folks look up, um, you know, DNS uh, and, and attend one of their seminars. It was really, really impactful for me. Um, in terms of like reading and books, um, I'm sure you've had folks recommend these, Atomic Habits, um, Why We Sleep, really changed my understanding of sleep and the importance and even, you know, why it doesn't make sense to drink alcohol right before bed or something like that. And then what I'm reading right now is called The Talent War. So that's how um, special operations um, picks and chooses and assesses talent for its, its, its organization. So, you know, I like to read a lot of leadership stuff and it really speaks to how at, at, its, at its core, they're looking for characteristics and good character people and not necessarily people that have a set skill set. Mm -hmm. Because I can teach someone a skill set, but I can't teach someone to be a good person. Um, and so that's something else I've been reading. Um, I do the audible thing, reading physical books puts me to sleep in a heartbeat. So I just throw them on in the car and everywhere I go, I, I kind of knock books out that way. But those are kind of the most influential learning pieces for me. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, dude. I mean, I'll, I'll pop them in our show notes. The Talent War is one of the books I've been looking to pick up at some point. I forget the gentleman's name, Mike Cirilli, is it? Who's uh, yeah. connected mm -hmm. in. So I think I'd heard him on, I think it was Jocko's podcast previously. And he was obviously talking about like, hiring for character and training for skill later, you know, which makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of organizations do it wrong by going the opposite way of hiring for skill and maybe not having that personality come into it. Yeah. And, and even just, they talk about interviewing skills and how you can try to tease out certain qualities, you know, in someone that are like key qualities, you know, like drive and, you know, and communication and enthusiasm and things like that. Like, what are different types of questions that don't normally get at, at, uh, that asked that, that don't get asked 
that you should be asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one I remember most, which made me laugh is, you know, they said, why should, why should we hire you is like the dumbest question you could ask because it's like, well, they don't know anything about your company. Like you should know why you want to hire them. Yeah. Um, but just questions like that, it really made me think kind of from a leadership perspective on how you identify the right people for, for your organization to, to support you and accomplish a, you know, a goal. Definitely, man. Some good resources there, dude. Uh, obviously, it's been great, John, dear Ryan. And if anyone wants to, to reach out and find out about a bit more about you or Bridge and that or asking questions, what's, what's the best way they can do that, mate? Yeah, so um, email ryan at bridgeathletic.com. Um, social media, I am on Instagram, so at rcsc14. Um, I'm sorry, I don't do Twitter. I can't handle it. It's just too much. Um, and then Facebook, Ryan Carroll on Facebook. Um, you know, don't get offended if I don't take your request. I try to keep Facebook a little bit more family oriented, um, Instagram, a little bit more business related, but I'm happy to, to have discussions and answer questions and, and talk to anyone who wants to reach out. Cool. That's awesome, Ryan. I'll pop that in our show notes as well. Uh, once again, Ryan, I know you're a busy dude. You're getting ready to go off to TSAC as well. So thank you very much for the time, mate. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, John. It's an honor to be on. Appreciate it, dude. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Team Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. To continue supporting us, can I ask you to do me a simple favor. First of all, Subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me, and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.